time, people give me kind of funny things, you know. Uh, some of them have hidden meanings in them and some of them don't. And I believe this one has a hidden meaning in it. Some of us have a sense of humor that I'm not quite sure is very humorous when they give me things like this. But uh, I'm going to turn around in just a minute, so you might want to zoom up. And uh, when I show you what it says, I'm going to let you read it. You ready to do that, Mr. Cameraman? Uh, there's a reason why. I celebrated my birthday, you know, just a, a little, little while ago, and I got a year older. And so apparently they thought that this was what I needed for my birthday. Zoom in on this. I'll let you read it. Can you do that? You can't do that? All right, I'm going to read it. Maybe I don't want to read it to you. No, I will. <laughs> it's a little plaque with a little inscription on it. If you ever get caught sleeping at work, just slowly raise your head and say, in Jesus' name, amen. I am not that old. Be quiet, Angela. Do not say a word. Um. Yeah, I remember a pastor evangelist one time, I heard him on the television, he was saying that he prays all night at the altar uh, in his church, and uh, he says, you know, my body sleeps, but my spirit is awake. I said, right, right. Um, you know, I thought about that this morning, and I kind of changed my, my introduction. There are some people who are spiritually asleep. We have found a comfortable spot and we have closed our eyes and we have ceased to make progress in following the leadership of the Lord. And we're trying to disguise the fact that we are spiritually asleep by pretending or by exercising certain spiritual qualities so that others would not recognize the fact that we're spiritually asleep comatose. The people of God this morning are people who have been somewhat in a sleepy state. They've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and they happen to find themselves now at the door of the promised land. And it seems as if they are ready to move on with God and they will. But least we forget all that has taken place in order to get them to this very moment in Joshua chapter 3. Because if you go back to the book of Numbers, you recognize and realize that Moses sent out 12 spies. Ten came back with a fearful report. Two came back with a faith report. Ten out of fear said there's no way in the world that we're going to be able to overcome the giants in the land and to remove the obstacles that are in the path of our seizing the land and taking possession of what God has promised. Two says, no, we can. God is greater than the obstacles. He is greater than the enemy, and we must move forward. And the ten win. Individuals and large groups of people, the people of God, the nation of Israel, who are more than a million strong at this point, all conspire together to refuse, to rebel, and to reject the direction, the purpose, and the plan, and the promises of God. And they say, no way are we going to cross the Jordan and seek to fulfill that which you've promised, to grasp that which is already ours, because once God promises it, it's already pretty much a done deal. And they say no. As a result of that, God then sends them out into the wilderness. 
But did you know when they reject and refuse God that God gets angry at his own people? He got angry because they refused to trust him. He got angry because they've refused to move forward in his promises and relying upon him. And regardless of what the barriers and the battles that were there to trust him and believe in him enough to move forward in faith and to release the fear that would paralyze them and cause them to rebel and to reject the plan, the purpose, and the provisions of God. Moses intercedes for God's people. And he falls on his face, I'm convinced, before God, and he says, Lord, would you rethink? Would you reflect? Would you pardon your people? And it's in that passage that we're going to read this morning as we start our text where God says, in Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 20, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live... And as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men will have seen my glory, who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. God is going to die out a whole generation for 40 years in the wilderness before he's going to bring them to the point that we're going to read today. Isn't it interesting that God is so angry with those that are at the door, front door of the promised land and who reject, refuse, and resist God and rebel against him. He say, you know what, I'm going to send my people out of the wilderness for 40 years and I'm going to cause this whole generation that defied me to die out before I, I, I allow them to be here again. I'm going to raise up a whole new generation that's going to put faith in me and is going to overcome the fear of the obstacles and the barriers and the battles that are before them. They're not going to see the promised land. You know, I think sometimes a whole generation needs to die out before people begin to trust God. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. He's saying, hey, I want you to turn around, and I want you to go now into the wilderness, back where you came from, and to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. I'm going to provide a cloud by day that will lead you, a, a fire by night that will protect you, and I'm going to provide manna, substance, food for you along the journey. But these people, this generation, are not going to see another opportunity like this Again, opportunity missed to go with God. And as I think about that, I scratch my head and I wonder, how many opportunities have I missed to move on with God? How many opportunities have you missed to move on with God? Into the greater depths and the greater blessings of his graces and the promises that he has in store for you in Christ that are already meant for you to enjoy, and yet because you've refused to move with him, you remained stagnant and chose to sleep in a comfortable spot rather than to spiritually awake and to move with God. And here we see that happening. And so now, 40 years later, we find in Joshua chapter 3 where there's another opportunity for the people of God, the nation of Israel, to step forward into the graces and the blessings that God has promised their, 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 their 
great-grandfather in the faith, Abraham. And here we see them. Once again, faced with the same obstacles, with the same barriers, with the same enemy. And yet this time, they learn their lesson and they trust God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 17 verses very quickly. I'm going to come up with five points as to what these people did in order to move forward with God, the the people of God, as they are at the door, front door of the promised land. And then we're going to come and quickly conclude this. So 17 verses is a lot to cover in five minutes. That was supposed to be a joke. And so we can get out by 3 o'clock. We're going to do it very quickly. So buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. How did Israel finally move on with God? Number one, they assumed the right posture. They assumed the right posture. Notice in the text in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah in Joshua 3.1, it says, Then Joshua was early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. There's a certain posture here that I want us to notice, and the posture, first of all, is the posture of Joshua. He has the discipline to get up every morning and to spend time alone with God. That is a discipline that is something he's been doing for quite some time. Remember, Joshua is not a young man by this time. He's well up into his years. And I'm convinced that this is something, it's mentioned many times in the book of Joshua, but this is a habit, this is a discipline that Joshua's had for a long time. There's no way that we can move on and go on with God unless we are connected to him on an intimate, personal basis. You and I may not be morning people, but it's important that we have a habit, a regular routine of us interceding with God, connecting with him on an intimate, personal level so that we can hear, understand, and know what it is that God wants to do in us to transform us and how he wants to direct us. That was his discipline. And in one of those times of discipline, God comes to him and God gives him exactly the course and the direction that he wants to take the people of God. And so he brings Joshua to the point now where he is, where he says, Joshua, the people of God are in this place. I want you to bring them over here to camp next to the Jordan River. And it's about a 10-mile trip. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot for us, but there's a million-plus people, and it takes a lot to pick up, to move the tents, and to get all the stuff together, and the animals, and the kids. And some of us in here, I forgot what it's like to come to church on Sunday morning because it's been a long time since we've got four or five little ones ready to come to church. They recognize that over there at 10 o'clock. It's hard to do all that. And so to move even 10 miles is not a small task, and they have to move 10 miles to the Jordan, and they shorten the distance between where they were and where God needed them to be so that he can then perform the miracle. And I'm convinced that unless we are willing to pick up from where we are and to place ourselves in a position of blessing, we won't receive the blessing that God has for us. We've got to move from there to here so that we can be prepared to receive what God wants to do. The miracles don't come over there. The miracle was going to come to them where he wanted them to be just before they were to cross over the Jordan from the eastern side of the Jordan to the western side into the promised land. But notice also the difficulty. The difficulty is described in the Jordan River. Now, why is it difficult? We're going to read later on where we're going to learn that it's springtime now. And the mountains that were covered with snow are all of a sudden now being beaten down by the sun of the springtime. And the snow is beginning to melt What in the world was that, Mike? The snow is beginning to melt, and the river is full. How many of you went down to the uh, Arkansas? It's not the Arkansas, the Arkansas. 
I know you from Oklahoma and some from Texas and other parts of the United States don't understand. Those of us who are local, it's the Arkansas River. Amen? That's what I thought. And have you been down to the Arkansas River? You've seen it lately with all the rain? Uh, how would you like to cross that without any boat or any apparatus? A million plus people. It would be almost impossible to do. It has some some places that may be shallower than others, but it's pretty deep, and the current is pretty, pretty rapid, and that's what they were facing. They got to the Jordan, and the snow was melting, and the water and the, the river is crested, and it's flowing very rapidly, and they're camped out there, and they're looking at this river, and I would imagine some are remembering the story that they heard their fathers and their grandparents talk about God parting the Red Sea. There are probably some who are wondering, okay, how are they going to build a transportation to cross this? It, how's this going to happen? They're waiting for something, which brings us to the very reason why there's a delay they camp out there right before they cross the Jordan why they're waiting on God they're waiting on God they're waiting for God to communicate exactly how God is going to make this impossibility a possibility they're waiting for God's direction they're waiting for God's timing they're not going to get ahead of God and they're not going to get behind God they want to go with God and they're waiting on God to tell them this is the time and this is the how Because you and I know that if we get ahead of God, we're in trouble. If we lag behind from God, we're going to also be in trouble. We need to go with God when God speaks to do it God's way or we're not going to see the miracle of God performed in the circumstance that we're facing. So we must wait. And there are many of us today who have been waiting on God for quite some time. I mean, we've been waiting for a long time. And we keep wondering, how much longer must I wait? You wait until you get direction from God. Don't get ahead of God. And as soon as God speaks, you go with God. You don't lag behind or say, well, you know, I'm not quite sure. You move when he says move, and you go when he says go, and you do what he tells you to do. That's the purpose for this position that they're in, is that they are waiting on God. It's not that God is delaying simply just to be delayed or to to take his time. God always causes us to delay for a purpose and for a reason, not just because he likes to watch us wait or even to suffer. So they assumed the right posture. Secondly, they they adjusted to God's perspective. There's a perspective here that I want us to see. There's a condition that God lays before his people, and the condition is described in verse 2. It says, in the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, and as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it. In order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's interesting, as you take a look at the text, there's a command, and the command comes from whom? The command comes from the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He is reminding them that this command comes from the Lord. He is the Lord over them. He is the Lord over the circumstance. He is the Lord that they must follow into the promised land. He is the Lord that must help them overcome the obstacles and defeat the enemy. He is the Lord. And until he is Lord of our lives and Lord of his church, there's no way in the world that we're going to see the miraculous take place and the supernatural transpire. 
We see here there's a command from the Lord. It's not optional when God commands. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. It's simply ours simply to say, yes, Lord. At your command, we go. Notice then the covenant that he talks about and he describes. The covenant is found in the Ark of the Covenant. I don't have a lot of time to describe the Ark of the Covenant, but it was a sacred piece of furniture that often, uh, well, not often, but it always remained in the tabernacle, in the place of worship. But on this particular period, we're going to see where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be picked up by the priest, and it's going to precede the nation of Israel in the march into the Promised Land. And he says, I want you to remember my covenant with you. God has a covenant with his people. And those of us who are in Christ are his people. And in that covenant that is theirs at this time is also ours today. And in that covenant comes a covenant where God says, I am your Lord, fear not, for I am with you. Never be dismayed. Always be encouraged, because I am a God of my word. I'm a God of my word. And I will keep my covenant with you. You may be faithless, Israel, from time to time, but I am always faithful. And he says that to me and to you and to us together, that because sometimes of our depravity and because of, of conditions that are outside of our control, because who of us have made promises to our children that we couldn't keep because we can't control all the elements, we can't control all the circumstances, and we have good intentions, and we promised our kids we're going to do this. I promise you we're going to do this. And something changes out of our control, and we cannot fulfill our promise. God doesn't do that. He's in control of the elements. He's in control of the circumstances. And he always does what he says he's going to do. And he always keeps his covenant with his people. Always. He talks about his covenant, but he then has a word of caution to the people. And if you take a look at the text, he said, I want you to be cautious because the Ark of the Covenant is about to be removed from the tabernacle, and I want you to keep your distance from it. And he gives them the exact distance that he wants them to. To, to lag behind as the Ark of the Covenant carried by the priest precedes them. Why? He says, I don't want you to lose your respect and your reverence for my things. Don't get too familiar now with the Ark of the Covenant because it was symbolic of the presence of God and the laws that were contained inside of the compartment of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and it was symbolic of the presence of God, the very presence of God. And he's saying to them, be reverence, be respectful of, of my presence. Don't get flippant. Don't get casual. And I think sometimes we, like them, get too close to the spiritual and we, we become so familiar with, with the spiritual things of God that we hand them, handle them clumsily and we, we fumble with them or they, we, we handle them as if we, without the reverence that is necessary and commanded by God. He says, I want you to be cautious when you're following the Ark of the Covenant because I have a concern for you. And the concern that he has for his people is simply this. Notice in the text, you've never been this way before. It's a new way for you. It means that it's unfamiliar. 
It's not a part of your tradition. You've never traveled here before. And so he's taking them outside of their comfort zone into a place that they've never seen, they've never been, they don't know what's there. And as a result of that, it's going to take faith to move with God because it's in a place, it's in a direction, and there'll be battles that we've not seen and we don't know about. And so you're just going to have to trust my leading into the unfamiliar and the uncharted territory that you've never been before. It's going to be new to you. But in the process, I want you to consecrate yourself before you go. Get ready. The word consecration is an interesting word in this text. It means to them that they were to separate themselves from all the things that were unclean. They were to remove anything from their lives that was that was that was a hindrance to their relationship and their communion with God, anything that would violate the standard of God, were consecrated. They were to separate themselves from anything that was unholy. You can't go on with God. You cannot go on with God. and Go where God wants you to go as long as there's sin in your life. That takes integrity. It takes honesty. It takes humility. To recognize and realize there are pet sins that I've been holding on to and thoughts that I shouldn't have and feelings that are, that are a reproach to God and, and things and habits and characteristics that I know that I've been needing to change for quite some time. But I want to go with God, and you can't go with God with those things in your life. And God knew that, and he wanted the people of God to consecrate themselves. So there was a prerequisite that God had for his people, but there was a plan as well. Notice in the text in verse 6, God's people accepted the plan that God put before them, and it was a plan that, that really was, was a supernatural plan. It really didn't make sense. It wasn't something that would be designed by a committee of a Baptist church or maybe by a deacon body or a church staff of pastors who have prayed. It's a plan that sort of supersedes the natural and defies all logic. It says, And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today, not tomorrow, but today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. And they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, as for you, I want you to command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When they come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. He charges Joshua, to get the priests ready to take up the Ark of the Covenant, he wants them to lead the pack, to precede the people. He commissions Joshua then. He said, Joshua, you're my man. You're the one I selected to follow Moses. Because you're the one that selected, I selected to follow Moses, I'm going to bless your leadership. And I'm going to affirm your leadership to the people. And he says, hey, I not only going to do that, but I'm going to confirm that I'm going to fulfill the promises that I've made to you and to Abraham. And so he says there's a plan. I think part of the problem that we have is that we want to come to God with our plan. Isn't it? I mean, God gave us a mind, and he gave us an intellect, and he gave us intuition, and he gave us books, and he gave us education, and he gave us a lot of things, and we have a tendency to sit down amongst ourselves and to ask God's blessing on something that we've planned, and then we can't figure out why our plan hasn't been blessed by God. I'm not sure this has been a plan that would have been designed by Joshua's army or Joshua's uh, men that he looked to for counsel or for wisdom in times of difficulty and hardship and trouble. It's God's plan. 
You'll never go forward, never move forward, never go where God wants you to go until we surrender to God's plan. We see then the fourth thing is that they also acknowledged something very important. They acknowledged that God had and God would fulfill his promises. God made some very clear-cut promises to his people. And notice what they are beginning in the verse, verse 9. And Joshua said to the people, the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the the, uh, Hevites, the Perizzites, the Gershonites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and the otherites, even the termites from you. Wouldn't you like to have that blessing? Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, that's incredible. He says, I am the Lord of how much? Over all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. He wanted them to receive his promises. Notice he says in the text, come. Hear and listen to my words, to the words of the Lord. Whose words did Joshua speak? God's words. It's an invitation to leave where you are to come over here so that you can come and you can listen to God. The voice of God was calling them to listen so upon listening they would hear and upon hearing they would understand and upon understanding they could then follow. Receive my word, receive my promises. Receive my word, receive my promises, regard those promises to be true. How are they to regard these promises? Notice the promises of God. He says, I promise my presence. I am a living God. That's huge. Not a statue of stone or a statue of clay. I am alive, I am living, and I am among you. He wanted to assure the people of God, the promise them that he would be among them. Now, we sometimes have a hard time with that ourselves. Because we walk around, I think, sometimes like this. I I can't see you. I can't feel you. Or maybe I can't hear you. And Because of those, those things, we have a tendency not to see and to understand and to know that God is among us. There is nowhere that you can go. There is nothing that you will face. There is no problem in your life in which you are facing alone. God is always, always with you. Always with you. Not only we see his presence, we see his power. His power over all the ites. Hey guys, you're about to go into the land where there's going to be some incredible battles. With some incredible warriors and some cities that are mightily fortified. But I have the power to overcome any human obstacle that would prevent your going where I want you to go. Because I am going to provide for you all the resources that are necessary Why? Because I am, notice what he says, what did he say? I am the Lord of what? All the earth. All the earth. He is Lord over all the earth. 
And because he is Lord, he has made some promises, and he intends to keep those promises. He says to his people, and as they reflect and regard those, those promises that God has made, he wants them then to respond to those promises. There's a response that he's demanding from them in this text. If you notice, kind of tucked away in the text, there's a preparedness that he wants from them. There's a perception that he wants from them. There's a promptness that he wants from them. Notice in the text, he says, I want you to be alert. I want you to be perceptive. I want you to stay awake. I want you to see my hand, to see my activity, to understand when I am working. Not only should you perceive that, I want you prepared. For when you see the priest coming along with the ark, I am at work and I am calling you to follow me. And I want you to be prepared when the priests come by with the ark. I want you to have not only the 12 men, one from each tribe, already pre-selected and ready to go, but I want you to have your bags packed, your tent packed, everything packed, and your kids ready to go. Be prepared. Be prompt. Don't delay. Don't lag behind. Don't be slow about your response. But immediately upon your perception that God is at work and I am moving my people to cross the promised land, I want you to go promptly when it's time. Not only do we see the promise of God, but we see the power of God and how they anticipated God acting out that which he promised. It's one thing to believe in the promises of God, but it's another thing to exercise faith to believe that that power is going to affect the opportunity and the challenge that you're facing. Notice the people, it says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in the heap very far away, and Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those following down toward the sea of the Arabah, Arabah or Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. And now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground. What kind of ground? Dry ground. In the midst of the Jordan and all of Israel, all of Israel, every single person, boy, girl, all of Israel was passing over the, on dry ground until what? All of the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Interesting, isn't it? They exercised faith. They stepped out and believed in the promises of God, and they stood on those promises. And as they set out and they stood and they stepped out on those promises, it's interesting that they came to the edge, and the priests, as they stuck their foot out like that, the waters parted. It took faith to do that. This is different than the one that they, they had experienced with Moses. In that the priests had to, by faith, start putting their foot into the water. And as the priest did that, carrying the ark, the water parted. And the priest started walking across the, the, the Jordan, and the waters were parted, and, and they stood there holding the ark while people passed by. It took an incredible amount of strength to hold that ark for that long to get a million-plus people across the river. And they walked on dry ground. You know, I can appreciate that. I live in Kansas. You know what? 
our soil's like when it gets wet? It's the pits, isn't it? It just clings to you. Can you imagine a million people walking on wet ground, soil like Kansas, and it's just sticking on everything? How many carts would get stalled and stuff would get flung? And how many would probably eat more mud than they wished to that day? And yet it says they walked on dry ground. What a miraculous thing. All because of their faith, they discovered as they stepped out in faith, He, God, Jehovah, is faithful. He's faithful. He'll overcome any natural element you may be facing, any obstacle, any barrier, any battle that you may, may think is insurmountable. But when we exercise faith and at the right time we obey God, when he directs, as we make him the Lord of our lives, consecrating our lives like they did, step forward, he will make a way. And he'll defy logic and reason and any natural element that's in the way. So how do we relate to all this? Let's go to the, the next to the last slide. How do I move on with God just like they did? I need to assume the right posture. What's the posture? Humility, dependence, as I wait on God. A dependence and a humility that recognizes that if I get ahead of God, I'm going out on my own and I forfeit then those things that, that are available to me when I go with God. If I lag behind and no go when God tells me to go, I know that I'm slowly drifting away from him and the blessings that he has for me. There's a right posture, and that is a willingness to wait and to look to God. Secondly, we need to adjust to the prerequisites that God has. What are those prerequisites? Consecration. You can't go with God. You can't go with God with pet sins in your life. Why do you call them pet sins? Because we've been feeding them for quite some time, and we know they exist because they've been there for so long. We've grown so familiar with them that we think that God no longer cares. You can't go on with God into the fullness of the graces and the blessings of God with known sin in your life. Thirdly, you need to adjust to the prerequisites that God has set for us in that he has given us a plan, and we need to obey that plan. We need to follow that plan, and that plan may not make sense. I'm not sure where he's going to lead you, what he's calling you to do, how moving on with God in your individual life, how that's going to look, but I know God knows what it looks like. I know God knows what you are to be doing, what needs to be changed, how you need to transform. He knows the obstacles that are already in the way of that becoming a reality in your life. He knows how the enemy is going to seek to bring everything that he can to prevent you from going on in him, and yet he has a plan. And with that plan, there are incredible promises that are ours in Christ. You know, I, I mentioned this morning in the other place, and it's not in my notes, but it kind of, it, it's kind of remindful to me of, of, of the second coming of Christ, isn't it? And how one of these days the trumpet of God is going to blow and the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and we'll be forever with the Lord. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to have the right posture and we need to be able to move with God when God comes. Because God is God is 
faithful to his word all the time, and he fulfills his promises. And as you move with him, I don't care what's in your way. He's more, more than powerful. He's more than able. You may not know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or how God's going to make it happen. The obstacles may seem too insurmountable. The barriers may be something you don't think you'll ever overcome. The enemy may seem relentless and ruthless and far too powerful to ever defeat and overcome, but that's not true. Those are lies straight from the enemy that are a result of fear speaking rather than faith. And as we move forward, anticipate the power of God making the impossible possible. Will you walk by faith? Will we? So what is our decision today? Will you step forward and trust God today? That's simple. Will I step forward? Will I choose to just sort of lag behind, to remain where I am and not move forward with God? It's easy to do individually, just kind of throw, you know, I can just camp out right here. I'm pretty comfortable here. I don't have to really go anywhere. I've been here so long, you know, and I've got so much baggage that, you know, it's okay. No, it's not. It's not where God intended for you to camp out. That's not all God intended for you to enjoy, to know, to experience. There's so many, and there's so much more that God has for us. I'm convinced as we seek to follow Christ in the discoveries of the miraculous. Sounds charismatic, doesn't it? Will you step forward and trust God today? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Each Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 10 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship service and a casual and relaxed setting. Our second worship service begins at 11 a.m. and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for adults and children of all ages are offered at 9.45 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com. We have the joy and the privilege to join two men who have made a commitment to place their faith and trust in Christ. And uh, if you're a part of their family today, uh, would you stand? Kind of wave at me and let me, let me see. Any family members here with the De La Cruz family? Let's give them a round of applause. All right. Um, it's been a long journey for this family. Uh, two sisters were baptized not long ago, and God has transformed their lives. 
And this is a product of God's transforming grace in the lives of two sisters who have been endlessly praying for their family and living for Christ. And it is a joy uh, to baptize some members of their family today. Uh, God is good. And any ladies, they're way in the back back there, right? Any good? He is good. And uh, Rico de la Cruz is a part of that. And so we want to celebrate his decision to follow Christ today in this baptism. Uh, so Rico, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and committed to follow him as your savior? Yes. To make him the Lord of your life? Yes. It's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death, to walk with Christ in the power of his resurrection. Jesse, come on down, man. Jesse was in my office earlier this week, and uh, um, it was pretty simple. He was straightforward, and he wanted to know more about becoming a Christ follower. And we went through the little booklet, uh, Steps to Peace with God, and it didn't take 15, 20 minutes till he prayed the prayer. And, uh, you know, I don't really put a lot of stock in seeing how people change physically, uh, but Jesse's countenance was different after that prayer. There were tears, there was release and relief, and there was a joy on his face that I wish were on all of our faces all the time. When we finally are washed with the power of the blood of Christ and we are born again in Jesus. And Jesse's been born again, and he is now one of our brothers in Christ. And Jesse, it's my privilege to join with you today in your decision to make this public. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your Savior and committed to following him as your Lord? It's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death, to walk with Christ in the power of the Join me in praying, will you? God, we thank you for the joy that's ours to be able to celebrate the activity that you've had in both Jesse and Rico's life. One's a young 10-year-old who's just beginning really life. And God, I pray that the life that you now live in him, that you'd live through him that your Holy Spirit would rise up, keep him in the center of your will, protect him from the enemy, the evil one, and keep his steps in step with you. Lord, I pray that you'd bring people into his life that surround him with love and care and guidance and encouragement. God, thank you for Jesse and his decision. He's a little bit older, 20, has lived a little bit of his life, but still has so much ahead of, for him. And I pray, God, that you would live out your life through his life today. Rise up within him, Lord Jesus, through your spirit. Empower him and enable him to be the man of God that you created him to be. Help us as a church encourage and equip him to follow you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.